maybe you can ask the the listeners uh uh like to rule in on some of our champions of the wild disputes like would would a blue whale be good at sumo answer yes no clearly instantly disqualified both by the technical rules of sumo and by the rules stated on the card the the blue whale wouldn't like be out no sumo you lose sumo if you leave the circle or if you fall and how do you define fall by touching like with both hands or something like uh above the knee guess what the guess what the whale does not have any of well neither does the giraffe harry <laughs> like the the giraffe has knees okay the giraffe knees. has knees uh giraffe doesn't have hands giraffe doesn't have feet Okay, but fine. Like, let's talk about pushing power. Like, I'm not saying it would be easy for me to get a giraffe off of a sumo thing, but like, it's I can see it in the realm of possibility. Like, theoretically, in the f- fullness of time, I could do that. A blue whale? How you doing that? Well, I wouldn't have to. Is the thing it would have instantly lost. And like, I mean, look, there, there's ways you could argue around that. I still think you say grizzly bears would be great at herding sheep is ridiculous. I stand, I fucking stand by that, Harry. Bears are dogs, but more. And, and yet owls are the, the dogs of the sky. They can fly, Sam. Great vision, they can hoot. What can, what can a border collie do that a grizzly bear can't? Move fast and dart in between sheep? Bears are fast, Harry! Like, I mean, they're- I think they're fast in the long run-up, but they're not, like, agile. Like, bears don't stop on a dime. Owls? Owls are basically Apache freaking helicopters. Look, and we can both agree, because of the variant of the rules we were using, that our sister Ellen would be really bad at it. Yes, we can all agree that our sister would be the worst at sheep herding. Worse than, uh... Worse than bears. Worse than bears, owls, and I think gibbons was mom's selection, which, yeah, gibbons were pretty good. Yes. Welcome to Brokazatsu, Two Brothers Exploration of Tokazatsu Shows and Related Media. My name's Sam. And I'm Harry. And I have a, a true apology this time, something I felt really bad when it happened. Um, I I like to think we've grown a lot as podcasters, so we've put in a lot of effort. But this is episode 70 of the podcast, and which means last episode was episode 69, and we failed to make any jokes about it. I truly apologize. Our our shame knows no bounds. Like when we were when we were labeling the episode post recording, it just struck us like, oh my god, this was episode sixty nine. What have we done? Or rather, what haven't we done? We could have made some very original goofs, like just saying nice and then waiting a couple seconds. Yes, we could have made the exact same jokes that every other podcast that hits episode sixty nine has done. It's a rite of passage, but, like, the point is we missed it, and uh, you know what this means, Sam, we just gotta double down and work hard so that when episode 420 comes, we, we're gonna nail that. Do you think we're still gonna be doing this in four, episode 420, Harry? <sighs> I mean, uh, I wouldn't have thought so a few episodes ago. That said, we just hit episode 70, Harry, like, we're already, like, that's, what, one-sixth of the way there? Like, that's that's almost the same as half of the way there. That math checks out, sure. 
Uh, and also some interesting math. So last time we did, we weren't planning to squeeze in a zero one, but uh, we did put it in uh, this week. And I don't know why uh, there wasn't a zero one episode. So <laughs> whoops. Like, I didn't know that was going to happen. So I, I'm not exactly apologizing, but like, I mean, it's not there. And uh, due to the way the Gaim episodes are, I didn't want to do like one extra and Sam didn't want to push to four. So instead, we're just covering Gaim and having a nice uh, discussion at the end. And also, there may be some lively chat because one of the two episodes we're watching this week is bug fucking nuts crazy. Well, I mean, it's I, I'm not sure I would qualify it as bug fucking nuts crazy as much as an episode of another show. But the first one, it's relatively simple uh, in that it's it continues a very familiar plot theme. Michi fucking betraying everybody. Episode 29 of Gaim. <laughs> Last time on Gaim. <laughs> Michi did nothing while his brother was being turbo-murdered in front of him. Uh, uh, speaking of the turbo-murdered brother, hey, Takator is alive! He's at the bottom of the mountain. And he's getting approached by some very puffy white pants. The the leader of the overlords, Rosho, who does have some hammer pants. Uh, yeah, we don't spend much time there aside uh, just to show just how fucked up Takator is. Uh, but then we cut to uh, the juice bar of self-reflection. Where Mai is working there now, along with Kota. Maybe slightly reducing the charity of the gesture from last episode, but, uh, or um, I think it was Mai's idea probably, but she is taking over Kota's shifts and helping out whenever he needs to run off and help the city. Yeah, Michi points out that Mai is working for free, which Mai tries to downplay, but Harry, I got, you know, as a former labor organizer, I side with Michi on this. I side with Michi hard. This is fucked up. Like, Maya is being straight up exploited by the man right here. I have no idea how Maya makes money otherwise. Like, she... Do they have jobs? Like... I don't know. They, Harry, like the, the invest games are over, so they can't be making money off of it. Are, are they... Do they get tipped... Are they successful enough at their dancing to make a living? Aside from Kota and Michi specifically... Do we know about the home lives of literally any of the dancers? Uh, well... Do we know it about Kaito? Well, we, we, we know that Kaito came from a broken family, and, like, was totally... That was totally ruined by business, which is why he's able to afford a weird giant clubhouse? I don't know. Look, uh, maybe Yggdrasil, the reason some... It's the thing where they're just... Maybe they're just kind of subsidizing the city because they need everybody to not pay attention to their supervillainy. Harry, is this a city with universal basic income? Is this Andrew Yang's world? Is this the future? Is this what the Yang gang wants? You know, we we said that for we said that for zero one, but are we just gonna have to sue that for every show where the main characters kind of just don't have jobs? I mean, if if Andrew Yang came out and said that if he's elected, he would cause like Tokusatsu shows to be reality, I I think he would get more support. <laughs> let's go away. We veered into politics last time. Let's veer straight away. All uh, right. All right. Yeah. So my, she wants to help and this is all she could do because she doesn't get a damn belt. God damn it. My like, well, okay. So Mai is being exploited. It's also, the show is trying to make her such a fucking martyr. <laughs> she, she's losing the martyr con contest on this show. There's someone bigger. <sighs> uh, and it, at the end of the scene, a very apologetic-looking Yoko kind of walks in and says, Hey, I gotta ask you guys for a favor. <laughs> oh, very awkward. You know how we've been trying to murder each other for about a dozen episodes? Yeah, it's a team-up episode. 
we cut back to Takatar. He's woken up and he he was very badly wounded before. He fell like at 200 feet down a cliff, but he has the three anime bandages on his arm and guts, so he's he's fine. He'll live. There are stylish bandages too. Like these are very much like art deco designs bandages. Like you can see the texture on them. Uh, and he is a little confused when he wakes up, but looming over for him is Rashuo. Hey, you're fortunate to survive. Uh, we are the Linmyth. Yes. Are Are you the leader of the ones exploring this forest? And he says, yes, then no, then yes, but no. Yeah, like, I was, but not anymore. And he flashes back to the conga line backstab. <laughs> uh, so last, last episode, you saw uh, Reju. She picked up the belts and she's apparently passed off to Rashio. And he says, hey, wh- what's this thing? So Takatara shows that you can use it to draw sustenance from the fruits without transforming. Yeah, like he he doesn't transform into an armored warrior, but he's being very open with everything that's going on. Like Takatora and the presumably big bad here, they're actually having a straight up heart to heart. Yeah, I mean, remember his plan before was hey, I want to talk to somebody, so there's this guy who's actually asking him questions. He's totally willing to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Takatar asks, how did you survive? And Rashu just kind of sighs and says, oh, I was I was chosen by the forest. You know, it tests those who brave it and appoints a single soul as, as its rightful king. And this whole situation sucks. <sighs> yeah, he says he was the chosen one. He has regrets about what happened to the rest of his people. And uh, we get a little bit of a reaction from Takatora there. But then we jump to a Yagdrasil villain and dancer hero huddle. So they're in the ruined basement that Sid totally wrecked at the end of last episode. Yep. And Professor Waring has to say, yeah, uh, Sid betrayed Yagdrasil. He destroyed the artificial crack to seal us out. And also he destroyed all of our lock vehicles. So the only people who can get to the other dimension while we make some more is you guys. They say that he's going to be making a beeline towards, like, the leaders of the forest, and so they de- they desperately need to cut him off. Yeah, like, I mean, these guys are enemies, but I think they both agree Sid probably should become god. <laughs> Kota doesn't seem to like the idea, but he's, because he's Kota, he's like, alright, this is convenient, but I'll work with you on one condition. I need to meet somebody who works for your company, Takatora. <laughs> uh, everyone kind of glances at Michi. Kaito notices this. Kota does not. Yeah, uh, so Warwick says, oh, uh, well, Takatora is Sid's supervisor. You should probably find Sid and he'll let you know where he is. Which is not a great answer. Like, Kota, you really should have pushed for more information here. So Kota leaves. Well, Kaito uh, looks at them. Kaito, Kaito Kaito tells these guys pretty much to fuck off. He's going to do what he wants. This is none of my business. So back at back, it's the clubhouse. Kota is like, man, I wonder, I wonder what's going on with uh, Takatora. And Kaito says, hey, have you, have you even considered this could be a trap? Like, maybe one of the people at this table is working with Sid behind your back? Kota literally says, no, that never happened. <laughs> Kaito, he's trying. They did this earlier with Takatora. Like, you know, with Sid and Warring. Like, just straight up mocking Takatora to his face. Kaito, I'm actually giving the benefit of the doubt. That he's trying to make Kota see reality that's right in front of him. Yeah, I mean, as as Kota walks away, uh, Kaito says, yeah, I, it doesn't matter. I could tell him right to his face and he wouldn't believe me, so don't worry. Uh, so I'm going to go. 
And Munkota sees him leave, like, hey, we're working to the- together. Kaito sa- turns around and says, all right, as soon as we enter the forest, that guy is going to say, hey, let's split up. I'm just skipping ahead. <laughs> Whatever. Not a bad move. Also, he puts in a nice dramatic pause after pointing at Michi. As soon as we enter the forest, he points. Da, 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 da. We'll suggest that we split up. Uh, so Kaito leaves. Kota says, ah, what's his problem? Michi says, I don't know. Also, I just got a mysterious text. I gotta go deal with something. <laughs> uh, so now we jump back to Takatora and the king having their heart to heart. The king says that the forest wasn't actually responsible for the fall of their civilization. It was them. It was man, Harry. Man is the greatest monster. Yep. I mean, a bunch of people ate the fruit and a significant number of them turned into overlords, Re- retained their humanity or their intelligence. I mean, they're, they're aliens, so I shouldn't say humanity, but they were sentient beings and they were doing stuff. But because to get the fruit, you need to be the strongest. He'd kind of done a survival of the fittest mentality, which meant that the people who were left uh, started killing each other to get even stronger. And as he, as he puts it, these are the strongest Linmiaf in history and the dumbest. Yep. We they have no hope of reviving our civilization. This is this is it. We're gonna sit in this stupid forest forever. How they, about your world? They min-maxed all the punchers, they minimized all the builders. Yeah, it's it's funny because you're seeing some kind of parallels. There's the red guy who just likes strength and uh who just likes strength and fighting. There's the green guy who's kind of sneaking around in the shadows doing some plans and maybe deceitful. And there's this, this big guy who wins and gets a lot of power, but is bummed about it. And uh, we'll get more into it later, but he, he has some other parallels to people that uh, he, he's just sad. I wonder, I wonder who the parallel to him is. <laughs> so yeah, we jump back to Kota and Michi and Hey, guess what? Michi suggests that they split up. Yeah. I mean, I Kota doesn't want to do what Kaito says just out of spite. And Michi says, hey, it doesn't matter. If if anything happens, I can call you. So, yeah, uh, they split up and Michi immediately leaves the forest to go and meet with Sid. Because Sid sent him a text. He's just sitting in a fight warehouse in Sawama City. They're looking for him in uh, Helheim, so he's not there. Uh, Michi points out that it's not the worst place to hide, uh, though I think it actually is the worst place to hide. Like, if he was hiding in Helheim... There was no possible way that they could find him. Whereas if he's in the city that they control and have cameras everywhere, there's a very real possibility that they could find him. Well, I mean, he's planned. I I give him the benefit of the doubt. Like he he's part of their whole organization. He sabotaged a lot of stuff on his way out. He probably knows the blind spots. That's fair. That's fair. But it's like being outside of Helheim, there is a non-zero chance of detection. Whereas being in Helheim. Well, in Helheim, you have to fight waves of monsters, and they're all are also the overlords and stuff. Like, and he knows they're hunting him there. So uh, they talk about uh, Sid and Michi. Uh, they talk about the plans, what they want to do. Sid asks uh, Michi, "Doesn't he want to be a god?" To which Michi responds, "Being a god sounds stressful. I'd much rather have a god in debt to me." Just saying, like it would be really stressful to be in charge of everything. I, for a second, I kind of agree with Michi. But then he starts saying, yeah, Koto, because he nebulously ruined my chances with this girl. He's my enemy, nothing more. He deserves to die. And so Michi proposes a false flag operation to murder Kota. So here's the point where Michi's plans start being less good, because he says, yeah, I mean, I could totally take on Kota. I'll just pretend to be my brother, Takatora, and Kota, 
he won't be able to fight and he'll he'll just give up. Sid, uh, for your part, you need to go deal with Baron. So the two weakest members of the respective teams are totally going to take on like the protagonist and deuterotagonist. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to go great, especially like so the fights, the fight starts. Uh, Michi lures Kota into uh, this valley by like flipping around, screaming, no, don't attack me, Melon Warrior, and then transforming. Yeah, because Kota's, he's using the super senses thing, so Michi fires some shots in the air and says, oh, I'm being attacked. Good timing. Very, very good timing on his part. Yeah. Uh, and then, well, before Kaito can go to uh, help him out, Sid ambushes him and says, yeah, I'm not holding back anymore. And Kaito still fends him off for a bit with his base belt before hot-swapping to a Genesis driver and saying, yeah, now that we have the same output, you're no match. Yes, it was apparently not aware that uh, Kaito got an upgrade. And, uh, yeah. So we jump to the fight. Uh, Kota, he takes his lumps. He doesn't fight for a little bit. But then he, he you know, takes a breath. He has some voices flash through his head. And he actually starts to fight back with Michi. So the heroes are straight up just winning. Like, they, they got no chance, the villains. Yeah, he doesn't pull out his triumphant arms. He fights Michi with the uh, lemon arms, so they're both using the same level of belts, and Michi is losing terribly. Uh, and it's at this point that they get jumped by Demishu, the big angry red overlord, because he's still looking for the red guy to kill. Yeah, so Michi is annoyed that uh, his assassination run got interrupted, even though he was kind of losing. So he calls over Sid and says, like, hey, the overlord is here right now. We, we gotta deal with this, changing the plan. And when Sid leaves, Kaito just follows him and says to Kota, hey, let's focus on Sid and uh, we'll deal with the others later. And I realized at this moment, Kaito was totally hoping the Overlord would just kill uh, Michi. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, he's not willing to do the deed himself, but he is fully in the mode of Michi needs to die. And I can't, I can't disagree. No, no. Like, he is kind of, Michi is everything that Kaito hates. I think I think the only reason that uh, Kaito isn't going hard into Michi is because of his respect from their dancing days. Well, also, he knows Kota would understand it, so and he doesn't want to turn Kota. Like, he's really hoping Kota will figure it out and that they could deal with it together. So Sid is losing, Michi is losing, and we jump back to uh, the king and Takatura for just a little bit more uh, so that the king can drop a serious bit of knowledge. It turns out that the forest... Every time it devours a world, creates a single piece of fruit, the fruit of knowledge. Yep, the forbidden fruit. It's the one that will give you the ultimate power. It'll turn you into God. He's the one who got it for uh, Helheim, that planet. Now, Harry, I like they show the fruit here. It's like this translucent glowing apple. I did not rewind to episode one to see if this was the fruit that Mai had in her hand when she went all dead in future. Um... Is this the fruit? Like, is this what happens to my Harry? It's what happens to my, isn't it? It's complicated. Like, it's it's weirder than you think. <sighs> all right, all right. There's annoying gendered complications to their, to their whole deal. Wonderful, wonderful. And the show was doing so well with the gender stuff. Uh, so the fight is going. Demishu, like Michi, tries to just run away. Uh, but Demishu teleports in front of him, starts beating him again. He's like, yeah, you guys are getting boring. Come on. And at that moment, a crack opens up. Yes. And the overlord goes through. 
And everyone freaks out because, nope, an overlord is in the city. This is a big problem. And it will be in a different episode. But right now, a robot guy shows up. Yeah, yeah. So all the plot that we're talking about, every arc that is proceeding, let's just press the pause button on it. Let's pretend it's not happening. And let's go to an alternate dimension where people have time, where everyone is in the real world, everyone is relaxed, and uh, they could just kind of deal with a little bit of side quest with a friendly assassin bot. The next episode starts, episode 30, with the phrase, let's cut down, let's cut back to two weeks earlier. Wait, wait, it said that? Yeah, it, it says that. Uh, two weeks ago, Harry, what was happening two weeks earlier? The time scale of this whole thing is difficult too. Yeah, I guess they don't really give solid, like, time frames for what is happening when. Are we to assume that this is more or less, like, right after the, the Christmas dance-off where everyone's kind of in a good place? I don't know. Like, in terms of episodes, that would kind of put it uh, just before Kota went and told Mai everything. Like, before Michi snapped and was full-on murder Kota mode. We could put it there. It doesn't really matter. Because, you know, this is this is an episode from another show. Like, we could... Harry, had we skipped this episode, would we have missed anything? Not really, but there's there's some fun moments I'd like to talk about. Okay. In a weird way, it does develop uh, Kota's sister a lot more, because uh, this is centered on Kota. They're looking through some old photos, and she says, Oh, yeah, look, this is you when you were young, and you found that puppy, and you loved him so much, you named him Jiro. And then I told you you couldn't keep him. Yes. Uh, such a long time ago. Clearly that dog is dead by now. So Kota, he's just out wandering around, and he and Mai notice a crowd around what appears to be a street performer. So many questions, Harry. So, so many questions. I mean, you've seen those guys who paint themselves up and pretend to be statues. and No, 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 no. Like, yes, clearly yes, but like, how did he get here? He's just kind of a wandering guy in his own series, and... He's just frozen, and it starts raining. Everyone runs away, but he's still there. And he gets struck by lightning, that also hits a clock tower. So Back to the Future reference, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it turns out that he's a he's a Terminator, and he has memory issues. Uh, Kota immediately befriends him. Uh, he they take him to the warehouse. They try to get him to work again, and uh, he has a big glowing button on the back of his head that says reboot. This guy is so much a Terminator. I was just waiting for the moment where he says something like, I now know why people cry. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a point in the episode where he probably kills somebody. So, yeah, uh, he's just saying, yeah, I'm I'm a machine. Are you a machine? And Kota says, no, I'm, I'm Kota. That's that's my, that's Michi. What's your name? He says, Jiro. Did we mention that the uh, childhood photo of uh, Kota and uh, Jiro the puppy, uh, they were red and blue color coded? All right, yeah, they they had uh, they had red and blue blankets because this guy's transformed form is uh, red and blue. Yep, yep. So he brought him home to his sister Akira, where uh, Jiro has apparently speed read all the books and is now doing expert level cooking. Yes, it is uh, very wonderful and uh, very photogenic. Apparently, quite salty. Yeah, he he doesn't know how to season it, but he also cleaned up perfectly and. Uh, uh, Kota says, hey, can we keep him? Please, please. I'll take, I promise to take responsibility. It'll be fine. And the sister says, hey, it's not like keeping a puppy. And I didn't even let you keep a puppy. I mean, I was kind of getting, hey, were you getting the impression that the sister was straight up hitting on the robot at certain points? Oh, that that's later. It, it's not a, yeah, the scene, but 
That's later. This sister definitely was going to a place where she was going to test all the functions of this robot, Harry. Yeah, he was going to see if, like, I mean, they, they walk out, they they find an invest. He's like, oh, what's that? And yeah, Curtis says, yeah, I have to fight to protect people. And Jorah says, oh, I have to protect people. Anyway, yeah, it, it's that scene. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, they, they're back at the apartment. And now uh, the sister is cleaning the AC and she's about to fall, but Jiro catches her. Yes. And she, she has a very appreciative look. And she says, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're here. And I, I also, hey, I got some movie tickets. And I thought the scene was going to be, hey, Kota, take some of your friends to a movie. I'm going to hang out here with Jiro for a bit. <laughs> uh, they should have done that, Harry. They so should have done that. I mean, it's, it's pretty light, honestly. He's talking about how he doesn't want to remember his past because uh, to protect something, you also have to fight. And he doesn't wish to fight. Yes. Uh, Kota also seems like totally on top of when after the fight with the Inves. Uh, Kota walks up to Jiro and says, you're a battle robot. To which my response was, how the fuck do you know what a battle robot is? Also, what's a battle robot? I mean, it just means that, like, I think it's a Japanese phrase, which means that he's, like, made for combat. Like, uh, in anime, I've seen, it's it's never been translated directly, but I think there's, like, a specific word we're missing. That just, that doesn't have, like, a one-to-one. He's, like, a combat model. Okay, so it's just it's just a regular thing. Like, if someone saw a robot doing this, like everyone in Japan would have the same terminology for it. It's just it's something that English does not have a word for. Is that what you're saying? Sure. Yeah, I'm gonna say that, and uh, we don't have enough listeners to correct me. So take that. Wonderful. Now, at this point, uh, we jump to the evil scientist who is about to cut his own head off. So, Professor Ryoba. Uh, he has he has a buddy in an evil organization, Dark, that sent him a cool android that he wants to test. So he's sharpening lines on his forehead because he's going to cut open his own skull and put his brain in the robot. Like, the robot is still almost in its goddamn shrink wrap. Like, he just gets this robot in his lab, and step one is to cut his head off and take out his brain. Weirdly, I can't say this is totally out of character for Ryoba. Like, it's... Because this is a weird episode, and the tone is all messed up, but, like, it's not like the characters aren't acting like themselves. It's just a bit sillier, but I've, Ryoba, I can totally see him putting his head in a robot body. I mean, I could see that, too, but not on day one. Like, Ryoba is all about test data. Like, he would run some experiment. He would he would put someone else's brain in the robot, Harry. That is the first Ryoma move. Like, if, if Takuto was still around, he would say, hey, buddy, uh, for no particular reason, I just need to sharpie some lines on your head and measure your skill. <laughs> uh, and Takuto would be like, well, this is unusual, but I'm, you're my friend, and yeah, we need to save the world together. Yeah, buddy. Okay, hold the saw. <laughs> Takuto isn't in this episode, is he? Uh, well, no, no. That's almost better. Like, do you remember the previous crossover episode, what Takuto got to do? He got to sit in an office and not believe people when they said something was happening. Yes, right behind him in the window. It's a kindness to his character to be out of this one. Like, it clearly happens off screen, because when we cut to the next scene, Zack, the oddly dependable, important side character, is getting wrecked in a warehouse by Ryoma. Yes, it's Zack. He's not dead. The Zack Death Watch continues. Because uh, Ryoma has now become Kikaider. Uh, which is the, like, evil mirror to uh, Hakaider. Yeah, so it's the robot with Ryoba's brain, just in this glass jar on the top of his head. Yep, it's, like, a big black robot. It's got a 
a cool glass dome exposing a brain, which is awesome. He's he's got he has the powers of being strong and having a gun, and he's wrecking everybody. Uh, Kota transforms, and he gets a grenade launcher to his fucking face. Kikaider does not mess around. Uh, at this point, I kind of stopped taking notes, Harry. <laughs> uh, the basic thing is, uh, Kota looked into a backstory. The Jiro, his uh, maker, was like a doctor guy who was working on a secret project, but died mysteriously. I I think in the full series, he's not dead, but like his brain is the one that gets put in Kikaider. Uh, he doesn't want to be rebooted to remember stuff, because then he would have to fight. He wants to keep living with you and Miss Akira. And you basically see Akira swooning in the background. <laughs> Jump back to Yggdrasil, uh, where we see Warring the the murder bot just wrecking all the guards, wrecking all the melon things, uh, so that he could get test data. Uh, Peach asks if he wants to go back to his uh, body, to which he responds, no, I must destroy more things. Yeah, it, it's part of Kikaider that, because uh, originally the brain that got put in the robot was actually a friend of Jiro's, so it, it was dangerous, but also like a hostage thing, like he couldn't destroy it or else he would be killing his friend. Uh, so it does turn you evil, or in Ryoma's case, evil-er. Uh, they have a fight, Jiro decides, ah, reboot me, I will fight, and then they do fight. Yes, he transforms. Before he gets transformed, he turns to uh, Kota, he says, I go, you stay, no follow, reboot me. He, he says, in a moment that I feel like will be important at certain points in the series, Kota, press the reboot button. <laughs> so yeah, they fight, he's a red and blue guy, he's... He punches them. They, there's an invest there too. They kill it. I mean, it's it's a pretty boring fight. Like the only the only standout thing about the fight is that they're fighting in this garage, which is I feel a, a, an underappreciated spot to have fights because you can throw people into cars. There's windows to break. Like there's lots of you know flashing and like shattering. Yeah, multiple levels you can jump up and down on easy. Uh, yeah, and then Jiro he's forgotten Kota and he just uh, sadly walks away while the the Hulk music plays. Not actually the Hulk music. There's it's a very iconic tune, like a uh, Jiro's guitar thing. Yeah. Uh he's uh plucking this electric guitar with no amp attached to it. I, I think he is the amp. And so as the episode closes, uh Waring has somehow put his brain back into his body. Let's just not think about the mechanics of that whole situation. Uh, Yoko's done weirder stuff for him. Uh, and then we see, uh, Kota, uh, crying while cutting onions, and he's rubbing his eyes while he's doing so. Like, fucking idiot, Kota. Do not rub your eyes when you're cutting onions. Yeah, like, he says, oh, I just got something in your eye. Yeah, you're rubbing your eyes while you're cutting onions. You're putting acid in there. Don't do that. God, it's like, it's like the time I was cooking chilies and then I scratched something in my ear. And boy, that was not a good moment. <laughs> Yeah, so that's a crossover episode. Um, it totally had no place in this series, and we can pretend it didn't happen, which is what the creators will do next episode. Yeah, it's uh. So I looked at it, and this is, I think, the first episode of Gaim that was just fully written by somebody else. Gen Urobuchi, the famous Madoka guy, he is has the head writer on the series, and he has written every episode up until now, although he was assisted by some people. Uh. Like on, I think the first one that was assisted by somebody else was 25, uh, Jin Haganeya, uh, who like co-wrote a lot of Gaim episodes and maybe did some other stuff with Gaim later. Um, but uh, yeah, this one was written fully by Nobuhiro Mori, which he was done like just lots of O's episodes, Gaim episodes, Tokyo Jur, Ghost, 
God, he did a lot of ghosts. Okay, maybe that's why this one wasn't good. <laughs> Harry, are there any more are there any more crossover episodes that we're going to have to deal with? I mean, I said when we were doing the commentary track for Tokyo that there were like three episodes in Gaim that were totally nuts kind of crossovers with weird movies. This is one of them. Uh, like the, there was a Kikaida reboot movie called Kikaida Reboot that this is a tie-in marketing commercial for. Okay. Uh, so yeah, this is the first of them. Uh, then there's two more later in the series for other stuff. Wait, wait, wait. There's two more? The one with like, the one with the mole men doesn't count as a crossover episode? Eh, one of them is kind of questionable. That's episode 47. We'll get there. Oh God, it's that late in the series. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it, Harry. So, yeah, uh, a bit short because it's only game, but because of that, we decided to uh, open up and do a bit of a chat about a subject, as we used to do more before we covered a lot of shows, but now we, we'll, we'll do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're... It's I, I don't know how to intro these things as well anymore because we haven't done it much, but yes, we're, we are talking about a thing. We are talking about things. Specifically, we are talking about RPGs, uh, because we've decided that uh, to kind of flesh out what we're doing with the show, we are going to do a little bit of actual play work, um, assuming that we can convince a couple other people to play games with us. Sam is making the mistake of forcing his wife to be involved. Huge mistake. Huge, huge mistake. Yeah, and we're 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 scouting out in the area, uh, looking for somebody who can regularly record. And uh, so we, because right now, the planned game we are going to do, or at least the campaign I'm working on, is Shadowrun, which is not exactly a tokusatsu RPG. Like, what What would the most toku RPG be? Would it be Big Eye, Small Mouth? Maybe it's it's weird, because, like, I mean, uh, so I tried to look at the state of tokusatsu RPGs. Uh, there is uh, Henshin is one that was crowdfunded, and I think it's literally uh, a beta version was put out, but the full version is releasing later this month, so I haven't been, been able to look at it. But from the test rules, it seems very heavily on the narrativist side. Yeah, yeah. Like, so what, Harry, what would define a toku RPG for you? Like, a few things that immediately spring out to me are like, it it would need a, some kind of Monster of the Week style mechanic. It would need some kind of transforming mechanic. Uh, there would be, you know, martial arts, superpowers, finishing moves, that type of thing. It almost... It almost feels like a wrestling RPG would be a good thing to reskin into a toku. Oh yeah, there is like that wrestling RPG that a lot of people like that actually might be good. Um, oh, that's that's a really good call. Dang. Aha! I mean, because I'm a nerd, I've, I've like had thoughts about it and I have like not formed ideas bouncing around in my head. I There don't seem to be a lot out there. Like, uh... So something I feel that would be awful for a toku RPG would be hit points. Well, it depends. I don't know. Unless, like, we could we could say that, you know, transforming uh, could cause something like strain. So if you reach a certain strain threshold, like, you detransform or something to that effect. Like, if we provide mechanical reasons for, you know, benefits for switching into different costumes or why, like, switching into low-tier costumes is better than switching into high-tier costumes, that type of thing. Like, tokusatsu is a very broad genre, so... Unless you were going to make a game that's, like, very specifically one setting, like, one world that you're building rules around and, like, trying to bounce it for that. I mean, you could do that. Uh, like, making something uh, 
curated like Shadowrun or what are other ones like Eclipse Phase or uh, uh, what are some like really specific RPGs? The Iron Iron Kingdoms one, Wrath and Glory, them. like um, yeah, Wrath and Glory, uh, World of Darkness. Sure, yeah, like you, you could do something like that, but I would do think past that it would have to be one of those more generic RPGs that has like kind of modular rule sets you can slot in and out because like when you say Toku, are you talking Kamen Rider? Or Super Sentai, or Ultraman, or or what? Yeah, or Godzilla. Would we have to? Would we have to have a single set of rules uh, that could facilitate like on the ground stuff and massive mech fights, or would you just treat like the massive mech fights the same as on the ground fights, just you know larger? It's a it's a weird thing you need to scale a lot, and I do a big thing about the Toku shows is like momentum. So yeah, like I mean, some level of hit points would probably be good, but I would want there to be something of like kind of building them up and then like a charging mechanic or uh have you i mean i've heard there's lots of other problems with it but didn't exalted do something where like in combat you kind of build up advantage and then cash it in at a certain point oh that sounds like Shadowrun sixth edition yeah that's the edition nobody likes right and i i've never played exalted uh like i'm i'm familiar with a lot of uh RPGs, but I have never actually played anything in the old world of darkness. And uh, Exalted is, you know, uh, it's a White Wolf uh, production, so. Is it still? Didn't White Wolf have to, like, give away their properties because they messed up so bad recently? Uh, I, that might be what happens eventually, but my understanding was that they're, you know, just, like, not doing much at the moment. Like, they put it out, and people aren't buying it, so they're just kind of, like, sitting and being very sad. A wrestling RPG... If you could have, like, signature moves, that type of thing. If there's, like, a momentum mechanic where you, like, build up the crowd, uh, and then you reskin that into, you know, just getting momentum in a fight, that might be the right way to go to simulate a proper toku fight. Because then there's some give and take, there's some back and forth that you can build up to a good finishing move. Yeah, like Worldwide Wrestling. I think this is the one I've heard of. Yeah, I will have to do a little bit of reading on that. Like, I've I've heard of it, I've heard it's good, but that's where my knowledge of it ends. Like, I don't even know if it's, like, I don't know if it's D20 or what. Is it D20? Is it Dice Pool? Does it use dice? Does it use cards? Who knows? Uh, I think it's involved in dice. But, yeah, I mean, I guess what, because, uh, so, like, it's... It's just an area that is a little light, also because I think uh, the licensing... I mean, in America, it would be really hard to license. And then in Japan, uh, I guess it's just not as interesting. Like, I don't think the... Like, there is pencil and paper role-playing, but I feel like it's developed in a, a whole different way that maybe we're not familiar with. Like, the, the couple pencil and paper games I've seen from Japan have, like, very different systems. So I'm not as familiar with those. Harry, are you saying that there's, like, an opening for us to draft the rules for a tokuzatsu RPG? Yeah, maybe. I could just, I could write down some, like, I can add it to the pile of projects I'm not making sufficient progress on. Sure. Wonderful. Well, I'm still working on, I'm both still working on that Common Rider double fanfic. <laughs> well, Harry, like, the cool thing about, like, a an RPG like this, like, we could work on it together. Like, uh, I would, let's, let's find the Henshin rules. Let's see what direction they're taking and see if it's worth having another option. Because I would actually, I would genuinely love to, I I kind of see myself as a bit of a game designer, even though I'm not. <laughs> uh, but, well, I, aren't you, I I mean, maybe I can edit this out if I uh, have to, but haven't you 
done paid work for at least one RPG source book? Not an RPG source book at this point. Like I've I've done some official work for RPG stuff. I've also done some paid work for other game companies that I can't really talk about. Yeah. So I mean I I'm, I'm like adjacent to that world, uh but I'm not what you would call official in any capacity. I mean I have had some ideas, they're just really vague. I am also like I am an award-winning GM, Harry. And I I was the guy who you playtested that uh that game on. Yeah. I worked out a lot of kinks with that playthrough, Harry. And then I got first place DMing before Wizards of the Coast realized that it's stupid to have a DMing competition and they never did it again. Yeah. Uh, I might be first and only in that. <laughs> first and last and only. Uh, so, I mean, yep. Yeah. So I guess the thing we're coming to is maybe we'll just design an RPG, whatever. Maybe maybe that's the segment we'll do. Start next time. We'll we'll put down a design doc and we'll just chat on the on uh, on air about how we would design these things. But fuck yeah, story uh, break. That's what we're doing next episode. RPG break. Yeah, I mean the, whatever. The story is meet you betray smart people. Uh, but <laughs> uh, I mean just and as we're heading out, maybe just a thing of uh, so we we're focusing on kind of pencil and paper games, but. Just other types of games or interactive experiences we've seen that are, like, toku-themed. Like, Wonderful 101 is pretty obvious. It's, like, a... It's a Platinum Games action game that was designed to be directly Sentai and stuff. It, it's exactly that. Lots of Platinum Games have strong toku themes. Yes, we do research, Harry. We shall do research. We shall create. It shall be brilliant. Yeah, it'll be great. Uh, <laughs> this... The someday the far future people will say like hey you know that award-winning rpg like it was started by a couple of idiots on the internet and then one of them murdered the other <laughs> but which one is it stay tuned uh so next episode we, we begin our murder plans but also hopefully there's an episode of common writer zero one man it'd be really awkward if they just took like a couple weeks off well, whatever we could just i mean what's the worst that could happen sad we just chat more like we just yeah that that's pretty bad harry I mean, you say that, yes, that is the worst that could happen. <laughs> That's so bad to listen to. Yeah, we just went through the holidays. Like, I've used up most of my material. Like, how are things with you? Fine. Yeah, sure. But yeah, and there'll be also two episodes of Comrade Gaim, where the overlord in Zawame City turns out to be about as bad as you could expect. Great. So how are the terrible, oppressed citizens of the... I don't know, maybe communist utopia, but now it's being attacked by aliens. How, how are they going to keep themselves busy, Sam? Well, they're going to do just what we tell them to. They're going to keep on dancing. Keep those spirits up and keep on dancing. Nice. Mm -hmm.